Welcome to Movable Dough, the podcast where I interview and promote living composers. Join me as I talk with composers about their current projects, their past successes and setbacks, and their personal journeys. For more information about this podcast, please visit sdcompose.com slash movabledough. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dough. My guest today is Dr. Rollo Dilworth. Rollo is Vice Dean and Professor of Music Education in the Boyer College of Music and Dance at Temple University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He is the author of three books focusing on vocal training for young singers. Rollo has over 150 compositions and arrangements in print with Hal Leonard, Santa Barbara Music Publishing, and Colavoce Music Incorporated. He is also a master conductor and has conducted 43 all-state choirs, six regional honor choirs, and four national honor choirs. Rolla Dilworth, thank you for joining me today on Movable Dough. Thank you, Steve. It's great to be with you. So I feel that most professionals in the choral world are probably familiar with your name and with your work. Uh, so I want to go back and talk about how you got to this point. Uh, so where did your musical journey begin? My musical journey started in St. Louis, Missouri, where I was born and raised uh, in the Midwest. And uh, like many students, uh, I was very curious about a lot of things, including music. And um, in elementary school, I loved singing and loved being a part of the, the youth choir there. I loved taking keyboarding and theory lessons in, in school as well as outside of school in private uh, form. And uh, my music teachers thought that I, I should pursue it as a career. And uh, I was so excited and passionate about it that I, I decided to move in that direction. Was there a point where you made that switch? Like, oh yeah, this is something I wanna do. I think uh, having so many role models, including my music teachers, I started taking formal piano lessons when I was nine. And I just enjoyed it so much. And I admired my teachers so much in, in seeing what they were doing uh, in their careers as, as music teachers, uh, as keyboardists and, and choral directors, that it just seemed like a natural fit uh, that I wanted to be like them when, when I mm -hmm. grew up. Were you composing and arranging from an early age, just right out of the gate? I started to tinker around with arranging uh, when I was about 11. I would bring my music home from choir rehearsal and sit at the piano and I would practice my part, but then I also I would practice everybody else's part <laughs> and, and play the accompaniment. And my curiosity started to, uh, I think, get the best of me. And I would often wonder what would happen if I changed one note to another or changed one rhythm to another, or even changing the text sometimes or writing another verse to the song. And so I started tinkering with those ideas, writing them down, and then taking them back to my music teacher and saying, can we try it this way? You know, I was, <laughs> I was probably a pre precocious and, 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 and nerdy little kid, but I was just so, I was just so excited about, you know, discovering these possibilities of moving around these, these pitches and rhythms and sometimes words on the page. And that's, that's how I started arranging. I didn't know that's what it was uh, mm -hmm. as an 11 year old kid, but but that's what I started doing. And my teacher said, you know, you're, you're arranging. I thought, oh, okay, well, I, I want to do some more of that. So what was your first published piece? So my first published piece was with um, 
Plymouth Music, which is now Santa uh, Cola Voce, excuse me. And uh, it was an arrangement of My Lord, What a Morning, an African-American spiritual SSAA version. And that, that was in 1999. Uh, and then on the heels of that was my first publication with Hal Leonard uh, entitled Everlasting Melody. So what would you say is different about your compositional style now than it was 21 years ago with that first publication? Ah, that's a great question. I think that my compositional style hopefully has grown uh, in many ways, just in terms of expanding uh, my understanding of, of melodic and harmonic possibilities. Uh, I, I do more orchestrating now than I did, you know, 21 years ago. So my, my ideas have begun to... Um, to grow in that way. Uh, but I think also just as I have matured as a, as a human being, I've come to realize more and more what my purpose is uh, with my writing, uh, specifically as it relates to uh, the kinds of, of, of music that I want to uh, compose and arrange and, and what I want that music to do for uh, singers, not just in terms of equipping them with, with artistic and musical skills, but extra musical skills that will help them in their lives moving forward uh, as, as citizens uh, uh, in, in our global society. Oh, that's great. And we'll, I'm going to come back to that uh, idea in, in just a, a minute here. Um, so I, I know that you've cited Moses Hogan as an inspiration to you, as well as the writings of Langston Hughes. You know, what is it about their work that inspires you? So uh, I'll start with, with Moses Hogan, who uh, was a great uh, musician, a phenomenal pianist, uh, composer, arranger, and, and conductor. Uh, he did a lot, particularly for the African-American spiritual, as many people know. Uh, he, um, he revolutionized the spiritual uh, in that we already had concert arrangements of spirituals, but I think he took them to a new level in terms of the, the harmonic and rhythmic palette from which he was um, operating, uh, particularly his skill sets as a concert pianist uh, contributed heavily to the writing style uh, that resulted in, in these incredibly um, sophisticated uh, and, and stylized uh, arrangements of African-American spirituals. And so I admired him for that because uh, I think he brought a new awareness uh, of the African-American spiritual to the African-American spiritual. And I think as any folk genre continues to evolve, he was certainly played a great role in, in that evolution mm -hmm. uh, and, and bringing the spiritual to the, to the next level. As far as Langston Hughes is concerned, I've been reading the, the works of Langston Hughes ever since I was a kid. And uh, I've always been admired by his ability to speak uh, specifically about the African-American experience and how uh, he used uh, through words um, very creative ways of capturing uh, the emotion and the essence of the journey of African-Americans in this country. And so much of his words, uh, while he you know, died in the 1960s, um, his words were so prophetic um, in terms of uh, what we experienced in the civil rights movement. And I would say even some of the uh, social uh, issues that we're facing now in the, in the 21st century. Oh, absolutely. What other composers or writers do you sort of trace as influences in your writing? 
Um, well, interestingly enough, I think most people know my work uh, with spirituals and gospel style music, but I'm also classically trained. And so I, I love the music of Johannes Brahms. Uh, I love the music of Mozart. I love the music of J.S. Bach. And I find that through my study of composition and music history over time, that they have something to teach me as well. And, and so my, my writing is not limited to just, you know, the African-American experience, if you will, musically speaking, uh, but it is very much informed by all of the music that came before me, all the way back to Gregorian chant. Uh, I, was, I was raised in my early years as a, as a Catholic, so I was singing chant uh, in service uh, as well. And so even, even elements of chant find, find themselves uh, in some of my uh, music from time to time. So I know obtaining balance in life is always a, a tenuous business. How do you create space for yourself when you compose? Do you have a, a studio, a, a door you can close and lock and say, don't disturb me for a couple hours? Or, or how do you approach it? Uh, yeah, so I do have a, a studio in my home uh, uh, that I'm actually sitting in right now uh, <laughs> where, where I write. Uh, this has also become my office uh, now that I'm working from home as an, as an academic and administrator. So, so I find time at home, but to be honest with you, Steve, most of my writing takes place um, on an airplane. Uh-huh. And because of my travel schedule, I'm, I'm on the go all the time. And I'm, I feel very fortunate to have those opportunities. So when I'm sitting, you know, in my seat and uh, on, the, on a plane uh, from week to week, uh, I put my, my earbuds in and there's nothing in the earbuds. There's no music. It's just they're there to shut out the, the noise around me. And I pull out my manuscript pad and I start writing. Uh, so I, I sort of miss you know, the opportunity of being on airplanes these days. But yeah. I have to tell you that that is, that is my quiet time. And I've written lots of music <laughs> on airplanes. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only crazy one that does that. So that's good. <laughs> um, so you spent a couple of years as an elementary school teacher. Uh, and a, a lot of your life's work seems to be focused on young and developing voices. Uh, so what draws you to these singers? Uh, I'm, I'm really curious about working with young voices because I believe that young voices, young people have a lot to say. And sometimes we won't listen to them verbally as much as we will uh, sort of give them more attention when we're listening to them singing. So that, that's something that excites me. But also, um, I, I, having taught middle school in particular for some time, I know that it is very challenging to find music that um, vocally fits the needs of, of these changing voices, but also music that has texts that uh, fit the intellectual and, and psychological needs of, of young people. So my goal is to write music, um, if I can, that will really motivate and inspire uh, the next generation. Uh, I love writing for adult and professional choirs as well, and also for professional children and youth choirs. Uh, but my heart has, has been with uh, the, the elementary, middle school you know, kids, uh, probably because that's when my, my love for music uh, was, was, uh, was evident to me. And, yeah. and I know that 
often middle school is kind of the last opportunity you have to reach students, uh, particularly in the vocal music area. And I wanna make sure that they keep singing and that choral music does not abandon them. So if I can write choral music that speaks to them and that engages them and that empowers them, uh, then hopefully uh, they will have positive experiences uh, at that level and will continue to um, enjoy choral music as either uh, a, a singer or as a, as a consumer, uh, no matter what profession they, they choose uh, as, they, as they become adults. Yeah. So if you had to sum up in just a couple sentences something that many people don't understand about developing voices, what would you say? Um, I think that flexibility is so key. I think that, you know, one day a voice can have maybe a three octave range and the next day it can have a three note range. <laughs> and so I think being flexible and making sure that throughout that process of transition, that students continue to feel as though they can be included in the mm -hmm. music making experience. Um, whether you have to change pitches or have them jump from singing part A to part B, or sometimes vacillating back and forth uh, within a 10 measure span between part A and part B, that's very important. Uh, students need to know that they are included and that they are important uh, in the music making process and what they have to contribute, whether it's three octaves or three notes, period, that that's important and that's meaningful for them. Yeah. So currently I, I teach middle school choir at Jefferson Middle in Olympia. Uh, I'm hoping my students are going to listen to this because I told them that I was going to be talking to you today. We listened to one of your pieces in, in class the other day. And so I asked them if they could sit down with a composer, what would they ask them? And so if you would indulge me, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions that they came up with. Sure. Uh, okay. So Cosette says, how do you think you can change your community through music? Wow, that's, a, that's an amazing question, Cosette. I think that music has the power to do many things. It has the ability, uh, particularly choral music, the messages in the music have the ability to teach us not only more about ourselves, but more about, it, it also has the power to teach us about people around us who may be different from us, who may live differently, who may think differently, um, who may just come from very different backgrounds. So I think that choral music in particular, its messages have the ability to teach us about ourselves, about each other, about how to respect one another and how to engage people who are different from us. And if we can allow choral music to do just that, we can have an amazing impact on our, on our society and our communities. Wow, thank you. All right, and then one more. Cody says, how does it feel to know that you can make somebody's day by bringing them a song that they really enjoy? Well, thanks for that question, Cody. Uh, it, it delights me to no end because I think one of my purposes uh, as a composer and arranger is not just to educate people, but I do want to inspire people and make people feel good and to make people feel happy. Uh, I think that um, we have so many opportunities uh, to lift up each other and to give each other hope and to inspire each other uh, through our words and through our, our song. Uh, so 
that that delights me to no end, knowing that my music has the potential to affect people in in those positive ways. Yeah, and I love that you said that because the song that we listened to uh, was "I Sing Because I'm Happy." Ah, yeah, and and that song always lifts me up. I I love that piece. All right, we're going to take a short break and then we will dip into some of Rollo's compositions. Welcome back. My guest today is Rollo Dilworth. So I have to say, Rollo, it was extremely difficult to find just four pieces to use for this podcast. I love listening to all of your music. Uh, like we said before the break, it's so uplifting. Uh, it, it makes me happy. Um, but I think I found four pieces that I think will help cover four different areas of your writing. So first, let's start with Joshua. Okay. okay. So your setting of the traditional spiritual Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho. I'm always interested in how composers are approach arranging such well-known pieces. You know, when you arrange a spiritual, what is your approach? What elements are important to you as you're writing? Oh, thanks for that question. Well, the first thing that I do, to be honest with you, is 
I try to, to scan uh, the, the internet and my own personal library to find out what other people have had to say in terms of their interpretation of the spiritual, because there are many uh, interpretations and arrangements out there, all wonderful ones. And so I first ask myself, well, what is it that I have to say that perhaps is different or unique? Um, and my, my approach to spirituals are, are, are such that I, I often will do accompanied arrangements. And so that separates my work from, from maybe some other arrangers. Um, but also uh, I'm, I'm trying to push the envelope uh, beyond just sort of the, the folk tradition itself. I'm, I'm trying to infuse more modern elements of, of uh, gospel and jazz uh, and even classical forms into uh, my, my writing and trying to create a very dramatic picture of, of what's going on in the storyline of the spiritual. So those are some of the things that I think about uh, in my own approach. Was there anything in particular you were thinking with Joshua? Yes. In fact, I wanted to write the ending before I wrote the beginning. Uh, and that's because this is a very dramatic Old Testament uh, narrative about uh, you know, Joshua running around, uh, you know, Jericho, circling it uh, to the point that the walls come, you mm -hmm. know, tumbling down in some arrangements, say crumbling down, but most say tumbling down. So I had to decide how I was going to, in musical fashion, recreate the idea of these walls coming down. And so I started with the ending of this piece, which I rarely do. Uh, to create a really dramatic soundscape of, of walls coming down. And then I started back to the beginning and uh, figured how I would, you know, take the listener on a musical journey from something very sort of simple and straightforward uh, that would build in drama with each section, with each verse, with each refrain, till we finally reach the pinnacle of the walls coming down. Fantastic. Well, we're going to listen to a little bit of this, including that ending. Uh, this is the world premiere performance by the 2014 Combined Clark County School District Honor Choir under the direction of Rollo Dilworth. <laughs> Thank you. 
next let's go to i dream a world with text by langston hughes so i really enjoy hearing about composers connections to the text that they're working with so what particular drew you to this text i know it's been set by a lot of composers what drew you to it so two two things uh one uh i've i've admired this text for a very long time and it was i was fortunate enough uh to have a, a commission uh by the um um, Boston Children's Chorus, I had to think carefully there, um, that uh, allowed me, they, they chose three dream poems by Langston Hughes for me to set to music in a, a complete set of, of three pieces. Yeah, the Trilogy this, of Dreams. The Trilogy of Dreams. Yeah. And so this was one of the poems. And I was so excited uh, when I was asked to do this because it had been on my list. Um, also, I was also challenged because I had other settings going through my head the entire time. And I, again, asked myself, well, what do I have to say that's different about this? And um, I started to look at the text very carefully. And the text is so powerful and is one of, of social justice and unification and equality uh, and, and, and celebration of people celebrating their differences and, and coming together that I, I, I just knew that it was something I, I wanted to take on. So I, I gave it my best shot. So do you approach a, a piece like this when you're composing something originally? Do you approach it differently than you do, say, with Joshua? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I have a completely different approach because since, uh, since it's not an arrangement and there's no existing melodic line uh, or harmonic structure for me to, to consider, I sit with the poem or with the text for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And I will not start setting that poem to music until that poem tells me what it is that I'm supposed to do with it. I will not allow myself to look at any piece of text and determine just based on my, my own volition or my own uh, preferences, you know, this is what I'm going to do to you because, you know, this is the style I want to write in, or this is my harmonic vocabulary, or this is my framework for how I write a piece. I let that piece tell me, that piece of text tell me what it is that I'm supposed to do with it. Because my job as a composer is to amplify the text and to um, and to not take away from it in any way. Mm -hmm. So it may sound a little silly, but I literally uh, study the text until I hear it speaking to me. Yeah, I hear a lot of composers say the same sort of thing, and I think that's a I think that's the the best way to compose is let the text tell you what to do. I think that's great. All right, we're going to listen to a little bit here. This is the Pensacola Children's Choir. Uh, which I believe you conducted this performance as well.
All right. Thirdly, let's talk about gift to be free. So this is a setting of tra traditional Shaker hymn, Simple Gifts. Mm -hmm. So I was attracted to this piece because it's an arrangement in the Rollo Dilworth style, uh, but the original was not a gospel or spiritual vein already. So was this a commission? Yes. So this was a commission uh, for the uh, Mars Hill College Choral Festival that takes place in North Carolina every uh, March. It's very much akin to an all-state uh, festival. So mm -hmm. we've got some uh, really amazing uh, young people who participate in this festival from across the state. And so as you were writing, what was sort of the core essence of this piece that you felt needed to be preserved? And what did you feel could be treated with more freedom? Hmm. Okay, so I, I definitely wanted to preserve the original melody. And at first I thought, okay, maybe I'll go ahead and introduce the original melody at the beginning of the piece. And what occurred to me as I was structuring it was this idea of not leading with the original melody, but putting the melody in the middle of the piece, halfway through mm -hmm. the piece or one third of the way through the piece. And what I decided to do was to write a partner melody um, to start the piece with original text that sort of um, amplifies or further expresses this idea, uh, uh, this principle of the Shaker tradition of, of, of simplicity um, and uh, humility. And then I, uh, so that was the first part of the piece. And then the second part of the piece is the original uh, melody. And then the third or final part of the piece is really sort of a combination of, of the original melody and the uh, sort of second melody, melodic idea, if you yeah. will, the sort of partner melody and, and you put them together. Um, I had a great time doing this because I, I tried to be very sort of subtle in the in the reharmonization, keeping the melody intact, but giving it just a little bit more of a of a soulful gospel kind of uh, underpinning. Um, and that's because I think many cultures um, uh, share uh, different uh, types of songs, uh, you know, between them but probably have maybe a, a slightly different lens through which, um, you know, they would interpret it. Um, and uh, this was my, this was my way of doing that. Yeah. You know, that's sort of the purpose of this whole podcast is to see things through different lenses and uh, hear different stories. So thank you for sharing that. We are going to listen to a bit of gift to be free by the Susquehanna Chorale.
All right, lastly, let's turn to Why the Caged Bird Sings. Uh, this is a, a more recent piece with text by the American poet and civil rights activist Maya Angelou. Uh, so I think this piece, along with I Dream a World that we listened to already, can be viewed through the question that Cosette asked earlier about how you change your community through music. So when you were writing this piece, were you thinking about making a, a social justice statement? Uh, yes, absolutely. I was really um, focused on um, amplifying the words of, of the late Dr. Maya Angelou. And I wanted to use this particular text as an opportunity to not only teach singers about uh, Maya Angelou and her life, but what she stood for and the messages that she communicated to all of us about what it means to be uh, physically um, and emotionally uh, trapped versus being physically and emotionally free. And mm -hmm. this uh, particular poem uh, gives us the, the comparison and the contrast uh, between the two. And it helps us to, I think, develop a deeper understanding of, of ourselves. This poem is a very introspective one. Uh, and it gives us a lot of opportunity to critically think about our own lives, but also about the lives of others, which of course um, uh, feeds into the social justice piece um, uh, in that we're not just sort of making art for the sake of, of art uh, by reading her poem or by singing this particular setting of her poem, but we also uh, can, can think about how we can put that art to work uh, for others and, and, and perhaps develop a certain level of empathy and maybe even uh, be called to action in order to help others to be uh, either physically or psychologically liberated from whatever may be oppressing them or, or trapping them or confining them. That's great. So let's listen to a bit of Why the Caged Bird Sings. Yeah. 
So Rollo, since we're stuck inside with COVID-19 right now, what are you working on since you don't get to travel on planes? Well, thank you for that question. I'm actually <laughs> working on a couple of book projects. I've always wanted to, to uh, write a couple of books, uh, one on choral music, one uh, specifically on African-American uh, spirituals. And so I've been developing the outlines and the framework uh, for writing those books. And uh, I've also been fortunate uh, in that I'm still um, uh, receiving uh, emails uh, to, uh, to, to be commissioned to, to write new music, uh, some of which is sort of very much focused in the times that, that we're living. Mm -hmm. And so uh, those projects uh, are, are, are things that I'm about to get started uh, on um, in the next week or so. And I'm really, really looking forward, forward to, to moving those, those projects along. All right. If our listeners want to learn more about you, listen to some of your music, where is the best place for them to go? I would say they could go to YouTube or they could go to howleonard.com where much of my uh, music resides. There are uh, examples of the scores as well as uh, sample recordings. I also have a website, rollodilworth.com, uh, that needs to be uh, updated quite a bit, but uh, but you can certainly find some of the of the recordings um, that I completed a little over ten years ago now uh, for my uh, first uh, recording album project uh, entitled Good News, and I'm looking forward uh, post COVID to uh, to updating that website, but also to um, to launching uh, some more recording projects. Fantastic. Well, Rollo Dilworth, I appreciate. Uh, you coming on the show today and talking with me. It has been a true pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for coming on Movable Dough. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. My guest today was composer Dr. Rollo Dilworth. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. 
To hear previous episodes, visit sdcompose.com slash movabledough. If you'd like to continue this conversation or share your favorite music by Rolla Dilworth, join us on our Facebook group, Movable Dough Listeners. If you have show or guest suggestions, please email me at movabledough at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving.